0: Friends, would you pray with me? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Psalms are about people. They are songs of lament and praise, complaint and awe of real people living real lives. Psalm 30, like so many of the other psalms, is a psalm that purports to be written by David. But theologian and biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann suggests that we find ways to help us remember that these are songs written by real people just like us. He writes, to re narratize the psalms, is to protest against the vacuous generalization and to focus on concreteness, wherein real people live real lives of agony and ecstasy. He goes so far as to suggest re-ascribing the Psalms to remind ourselves of this, so that Psalm 30 would change from a song of dedication of the temple of David (laughs) to A song of thanksgiving for deep and unexpected healing of Linda. Imagine that. Psalm 3 of Nancy. Psalm 23 of Richard. Psalm 40 of Alex. We know Nancy and Richard. We know Alex. She's our neighbor. He's in line at the grocery store. They are on the same committee as us. The psalms are about real life in its concrete and specific sorrows and joys, in its exacting terror and over-abundant delight. Psalm 30 is a testimony of praise. It's the story of someone who is down in the pit and who has been raised up. Someone who is likely gravely ill, who is healed. A simple reading of that psalm might lead one to believe that it's onward and upward from there. That the healing is complete and the lesson learned, one could extract a message that if we pray for healing, will be delivered completely and immediately and finally. My guess is that that was not the writer's intention or experience. Given the ongoing and seemingly endless suffering of the people who wrote the psalms, there wasn't a time in their lifetimes where everything was completely healed, where they were safe and secure as a community, let alone as individuals. I wonder if this psalm is a more complicated but ultimately more life-giving spirituality, One in which God can and is found in the miracles of healing and God is in the pit of despair. What if the testimony in this psalm is less about moving from sickness to health and more about moving from being tossed to and fro by the capriciousness of life to an embodied understanding that God is always with us no matter what that joy is available even in the midst of suffering. Jesus said he came that we might have life and have it abundantly, life abundant. It's that beauty that stops us short. It's the curl of an infant's hand around your finger. It's the precise tone and pitch and tenor of an old woman's laugh. It's the subtle flutter of a butterfly. But this side of heaven, the life-abundant, will always have a shadow side. That infant will grow up in a world wrecked by climate change. That old woman will likely not be treated with the dignity that our elders deserve. That butterfly can't find a flower for all the asphalt and monoculture. Life abundant, this side of paradise is sorrow and joy all bundled up together. The psalm testifies of mourning turned to dancing, and yes, sometimes, sometimes our lives play out in these beautiful befores and afters, mourning and then dancing. But more often, when we're in the midst of life, it's all bunched up together. Grief mixed in with joy, the pang of a memory on a beautiful day wishing you could share that sunshine with someone who's gone on, or a moment of laughter at some utterly ridiculous joke in the days after a terrible breakup or a diagnosis. Life is not a simple flip switch from the hard times to the good times. Life's more complicated than that for most of us. And so what if it's this, that in my grief there is dancing. Amidst my tears, laughter will surprise me. Life in all of its abundance, a robe of sackcloth speckled with wildflowers. In this mixed-up life, joy is a discipline. Joy is not the sticky gloss of a sunny-side-up disposition that refuses to take in suffering with the beauty. But rather, joy is the beating undercurrent of the life of faith. We can train our spirits up in the way of joy, like a runner trains for a race or an artist fine-tunes her craft. Joy is a discipline. It's a practice. The Paint Box Program is an initiative in Boston and tons of other cities and towns to decorate the electric utility boxes on our sidewalks. (laughs) You've probably seen these. That one's from my neighborhood. Some funny, some profound, and some just plain beautiful. These electric utility meters are seemingly random works of art in our daily lives, but they're not random at all. They're planned. The Paintbox program launched in 2008 with the goal of beautifying our neighborhoods. The initiative got a big boost under Mayor Kim Janey's Joy Agenda, where all across the city, they sought out ways to increase joy and connection in the wake of COVID. The Joy Agenda. Planning for, making goals toward, and practicing joy. Because, while beauty is everywhere, we have to train our eyes to see it. While joy is ever-abundant, we've got to train our spirits to seek it. Joy is a discipline. The Paintbox Project is just a small way to call our attention to beauty. To help us fall in love a little bit more with our city, with our neighbors, maybe with life itself. And when we attend to beauty, some of you know this, when we attend to beauty, we are prone to falling in love. And falling more in love with life, fragile as it is, well, that'll break your heart. Not in the way of violence, but more like in the micro tears that happen in muscles during a workout, ultimately making them stronger. Joy breaks the heart with beauty so that it gets stronger and stronger, more able to hold the sacred moments that make up our days. Imagine a city block. Not just any block, but your block. And the collective sorrows therein. Jamar still sad about his parents' death decades ago. Carrie, living with cancer that will kill her. John, in love with Carrie, who is going to die. Roberta, whose child is lost in addiction. Chloe, whose son, whose whole heart is going to go to college. Pam, whose heart never did quite heal after her beloved ran off with someone else. And your sorrow, whatever it is, however you tell it, All of those stories wrapped up in brownstones or triple-deckers coming in and out of your view like windows that open and close. And every day they leave their homes and they go, maybe to the bus, maybe to work, or maybe just to get out of the lonesome fullness of that house, they walk past the electric utility box painted with the griffin and the rainbow or maybe it's the one with the three small dogs and joy an unasked for moment of beauty comes in pierces the cataract of grief that has covered their vision a delight beauty not replacing sorrow but living right alongside it Sometimes, sometimes I just walk past it, earbuds listening in for more bad news. But once, all it takes is once, they stop. They see it. And joy, joy breaks in like the morning, drawing us out of ourselves, inviting us into more love. Each time they see it, they really see it, that electric utility box. They fall in love a little bit more with their block, with their life, and flowers bloom on the sackcloth that wraps around them. It's a joy deeper than the commercialized optimism could buy. It's a joy that can't be bought or sold or secured with weapons. Born of connection, co-mingled with sorrow, this is what the psalmist found. This is what I hope for for you, for all of us, joy. Born of connection, a discipline and a gift, joy. Showing up where and when you least expect it, a glimmer in the corner put there intentionally to give you hope, to give you power, to give you back to love, come what may. Amen.